Greetings from the Mountain Mama, West Virginia. My name is McKenna. And hey, it's Galen. And you're listening to Living Lore. On this week's episode, we will be discussing the murder at Babcock State Park and the ghostly guest it left behind. West Virginia's most iconic locations. Babcock State Park has 4,127 acres of beautiful mountainside, rivers, and a fully functional replica of the original Cooper's Mill that once stood on the grounds. Visitors of the park can enjoy a wide range of recreational activities like hiking, fishing, and mountain biking, as well as whitewater rafting nearby in the New River Gorge. But for those looking for something a little more unusual, this park also has a dark past. Spooky. I'm getting like Scooby-Doo lightning flashes on a yes. Romanian cabin. <laughs> but just imagine a cabin. Yeah. And that's where the lightning is striking down. That's it. In the early morning of April 30th, 1996, the Fayette County 911 operator received a phone call from a distraught Mike Flippo. Mike and his wife Cheryl, who were staying the night at Babcock State Park, had been brutally attacked. The Fayette County Sheriff's Department arrived on the scene shortly after to find Mr. Flippo standing outside, bloody, and his wife dead inside their cabin. The Flippo's romantic getaway ended in tragedy, but was this just a random attack, or was there something more sinister at work here? Mike Flippo was a well-known and well-liked pastor from Landmark Church of God in Nitro, a community of 8,000 located 11 miles west of Charleston. Mike, who was 48 at the time of the accident, had preached at the church since 1990. Church member Francis Williams described Flippo as a kind and stable man. He'd get happy in the Lord and shout and speak in tongues. But he wasn't off, she said. But he wasn't off. Interesting phrasing there. At first glance, the Flippos seemed to have a loving relationship. After all, pastors usually look to to set an example. But, as details of the murder emerged, it seemed the Flippos weren't as happy as they were putting on. So let's talk about what actually happened that night in the infamous Cabin 13. During the early evening hours of April 29, 1996, Mr. Flippo and his wife traveled to Babcock State Park. The Flippos didn't get a key to the cabin as their arrival was late. However, the cabin was unlocked. Their cabin was already unlocked and they weren't concerned about this at all. You bet I'd be asking for another cabin. No thank you. I kindly reject. <laughs> Shortly after the couple arrived at the cabin, Mr. Flippo left briefly to use payphone. Suspicious, suspicious. <laughs> Apparently it was to call a sick friend who was at the hospital. I don't know, that detail always seems strange to me. I mean, it isn't uncommon for pastors to check in on members of their congregation or friends. However... They usually don't wait to do so on romantic getaways with their wife. Hold on one second, honey. <laughs> I just need to make a quick phone call. You're so beautiful. I love you. Just give me one, one second. second. <laughs> I'll be right back. After making the telephone call, Flipper returned to the cabin and started a fire. He and his wife ate ice cream and played cards before finally retiring to bed. At around 2 in the morning, Mr. Flippo reportedly was awoken by a noise. When he got up to see what it was, he saw a person lying between their bed and the wall. What? Why was the intruder laying down? I am here to murder you. 
but it is also kind of late. So I'm going to take a quick nap over here, and then I'm going to wake up and, you know, and then I'm going to kill you. But just give me, like, two minutes. You needed all of his strength. He wasn't prepared. He needed a little power lamp. Just a little one. (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) It seems weird, right? I have no idea. But this intruder had a rope and was wearing a toboggan over his face. Mr. Flippo said that before he could alert his wife, the intruder hit him on the back of the head with a piece of firewood and knocked him unconscious. The intruder, who was laying down on the ground, had time to get up and smack this man over the head before he could wake up his wife, who was literally two inches away from him. All you gotta do is be like, honey, there's a man in here to kill us. Or even just, run, Cheryl! <laughs> You're just a, ha, ha, ha. A little shout, ha, a little ha. shout. I mean, I feel like you would do that anyways if someone was about to no. come at you with a piece of wood. I woke up and I saw this crazy, scary, masked man and I just laid, laid there, there in silence. <laughs> I just laid there and let him hit me in the back of the head. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that's what he said. <laughs> When Mr. Flippo finally woke up, he found the intruder sitting on him and cutting his legs with a knife. All I have is this image of him, like, you know, straddling him. And I'm like, how is he cutting his legs if he's, like, fully on top of him? There are three ways this could have happened. He's either sitting on him, facing him, with his arm behind him, cutting him, or... He's sitting on this man at his ankles, yes. cutting him. Or he's not facing him. So, yes, his back would be to Flippo's face. Yes. And he's just going to town. But then what happens next, supposedly, does doesn't not make, make sense. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. According to Flippo, the intruder thereafter struck him on the forehead and knocked him unconscious once again. When Flippo woke up again... The intruder was gone. After regaining consciousness, Mr. Flippo stated that he found his wife on the floor in a pool of blood. He reported that he placed his head on her heart and found it still beating. Thereafter, he rushed out of the cabin to call 911. The record shows that at around 2.30 on the morning of April 30th, Mr. Flippo made an emergency 911 telephone call to report that an intruder had entered a cabin he rented and assaulted him and his wife. The following exchange occurred between Mr. Flippo and the 911 operator. We couldn't get a hold of the actual 911 call, so it's time for another dramatic reading. I'll let you choose who you want to be this time, Galen. Okay, so I have looked over both of these, <laughs> and I have made my case for both of them. I could be the extremely professional and kind of off-putting 911 operator, or I think I could really take Mr. Flippo to the next level. This is a dramatic reading, after all. I say it's your character choice. I'm, I'm going with Flippo. Okay. All right, I'm ready. May I help you? I need help bad. What's wrong? I'm her bad, and my wife is her bad. Did you wreck? No, I'm in a cabin and somebody hurt me. Somebody hurt you in your cabin? Yes, and my wife won't wake up and I don't know what to do. I need to know exactly how did you get hurt, honey. I need you to calm down and tell me this. He hit me with a log. Somebody hit you with a log? Yes. Hold on. I think they cut me too. We're dispatching the police and I've got an ambulance in route, okay? Okay, I'll watch for them. Where's your wife at? Do you know exactly where she's at? She's at my cabin! Okay, what cabin are you in? Do you know? 13th, 13th, I'm at the 
the office. Okay, you're at the office. But is your wife in cabin 13? Yes! How'd I do? Great. I think, I think an Emmy is in my future. <laughs> Something. Something's in your future. <laughs> I'm sure. According to reports, Deputy C. Bryant of the Fayette County Sheriff's Department responded to the emergency call. Deputy Bryant found Mr. Flippo at the payphone wearing only his underwear. He had blood on his legs. Flippo told the deputy that he had traveled to the park in a green Cadillac, but that it had been stolen. Which, why would he even be thinking about his car at a time like this? He couldn't pull his wife out of the cabin, but he could check to see if the car was still there. <laughs> the look of utter... <laughs> I, this has never happened. I have nothing to say. <laughs> the deputy drove Flippo back to cabin 13. When they arrived, Deputy Bryant noticed a red Camaro parked near the cabin. When asked, Flippo stated that he did not know who owned the Camaro and that he had not come to the park in the Camaro. Which the now, Camaro. Why, the, the Camaro. <laughs> which now I'm wondering why mention that? That's not mine. I didn't come here in that. I don't know whose that is. Like, well, like the cabins are really space far apart. So it would be unusual for a car to be parked near a cabin if, unless you're staying. Okay, true. I was just thinking, he'd be like, no, that's not, I don't know. I didn't, yeah, it's, I didn't, it's still I very suspicious that he was like, no, it's I, not mine. That's I've not never mine. seen it. I didn't come here in it. Yeah. It's strange. I think a simple no. And that police officer was like, mm. So your car's missing. <laughs> and the only car close to this is a car that you've never seen, don't know, have don't never know. been in. It's strange. It's very strange. The deputy left Flippo in his police cruiser and went to the cabin. While entering, he noticed no signs of forced entering, and even though it had been raining and the ground was soft, he found no footprints besides his own around the cabin. Flippo's claim of an intruder is making less sense by the minute. Did the intruder just walk in? Or was he waiting inside for the couple to go to bed? That would explain the unlocked door when they arrived. When the deputy entered the cabin, he found the body of Miss Flippo lying between the bed and the wall. After discovering the body, Deputy Bryant went outside and found the paramedics had arrived. One paramedic went into the cabin while the other attended to Mr. Flippo. Mrs. Flippo was officially declared dead and Mr. Flippo was taken to a local hospital while Deputy Bryant remained at the crime scene to conduct a more thorough investigation. Hospital staff found that Mr. Flippo had a small bruise on his forehead and on the back of his head, and he also had scratches on his legs. It's important to note here that even though the intruder was cutting into Mr. Flippo's leg, like he claimed, with a knife, his injuries were very minor with minimal bleeding. This man got knocked out twice. He only had a small bruise on his head and the back of his head, and then like just barely had any scratches on his legs, like enough to where he, he bled a little bit, but they were all minor injuries, and then his wife, literally, you could see the inside of her head. I've just never, unless it was like a, a specific attack against her, yeah. one intruder would, would smack you around a little bit yeah. and then bust your wife's head open. Like, why would he sit there and cut into his legs if he wasn't going to kill him? And you know nobody interrupted him because they were out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Facts are not lining up here. Nothing. Nope. Nope. <laughs> After receiving treatment at the hospital, Flippo agreed to accompany Fayette County Sheriff Detective S. Kessler to police headquarters to give a statement. Flippo contended he and his wife were being stalked and that he was beaten unconscious and his wife was killed by a burly masked man who had entered the cabin. 
beaten unconscious. He had no, like, one or two bruises. Also, it's the middle of the night. This man's wearing a toboggan. How did he know he was burly? Before he got knocked, I mean, he moved quick enough that he knocked him out before he could say anything to his wife. But, but he was like, oh, he's wearing a toboggan. He has a rope. He's burly. But uh, he can't say, he can't Cheryl, say wake yeah. up. <laughs> and here's where evidence started to come forward that makes you think, how did this man ever think he was going to get away with murder? In case you guys hadn't figured it out. <laughs> he did it. Surprise. All that to say, the poor guy never stood a chance. <laughs> Shortly after Mr. Flippo gave his statement, Detective Kessler received a phone call from the crime scene investigator, Detective G. Burke. Detective Burke reported that there was no forced entry into the cabin, the crime scene looked staged, and that certain items were not where they logically should have been. After the telephone call, at approximately 10.33 a.m., Mr. Flippo was informed that he was a suspect and he was read his Miranda rights. Almost immediately, Mr. Flippo requested to speak with his attorney and all questioning of him stopped. Flippo also requested medication and clothing be retrieved from the cabin. Please tell me this man wasn't still in his underwear. I don't know. <laughs> the police report didn't say anything about it, but I'm like, I'm sure the paramedic would have something. So at best, he was in a hospital gown. Probably. At worst, he was in his underwear. Surely they wouldn't like just keep him in his underwear, but... Not, but this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So. <laughs> Who knows? Possible. Who knows? <laughs> I don't want to really know. I'm just for, you know, for the rest of the story, we're just going to say that he was in a hospital. <laughs> He's just in a hospital gown. <laughs> Mr. Flippo's attorney arrived at the police headquarters several hours later and took him away. Took him to where? Home, I guess. I don't like took him where <laughs> i don't know <laughs> on may 3rd 1996 the police arrested flippo and formally charged him with the murder of his wife things are not going in flippo's favor definitely not we already mentioned that police found no sign of forced entry into the cabin and that even though flippo claimed the intruder had cut his legs with a knife the only marks on his legs were scratches after flippo was named a suspect state medical examiner dr irvin sofer determined that the wounds were self-inflicted and that the wound to his head were not enough to have knocked him unconscious no surprise there <laughs> let's not forget about the 100 thousand dollar life insurance policy flippo took out on his wife mere weeks before she died can you guess who the beneficiary of said life insurance policy was don't tell me <laughs> yeah. murder and insurance fraud well i mean i guess that's technically not fraud well yeah right uh, I, you yeah can't, if you can't, you can't kill take, someone to yeah you can't get, take out a life insurance policy on them and then kill, kill them, them for the money yeah i would say that's <laughs> a terrible form of fraud that that yeah <laughs> That, no, that's not cool. No. Not cool. Not cool, man. Murder's not cool. <laughs> I don't think he thought this plan through at all. <laughs> I, no, there's no. no. <laughs> Evidence continued to surface, including a recovered piece of firewood that the police believed Flippo used to kill his wife, and various testimonies began to pop up, furthering Flippo's appearance of guilt. A testimony from a church member showed Flippo's increasing agitation with his wife, and during trial, a letter that Flippo gave his wife was presented to the court. Inside, it said, I wish you would let me be happy, but you won't. You are determined to make my life sad. You make life miserable over me talking on the phone. I don't understand you. Why can't I have a friend? Why do you want to own me like a car? Why are you trying to force me to have a friendship with Joel in secret? I will not be forced to lie or have a friendship in secret. I've grown past that. 
who the heck is Joel? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't worry. We'll get to that. Detective David Burke gave his own testimony, stating that inside cabin 13, bloodstains were soaked from the floor and placed on the bed to make it seem like the attack had occurred in the bed fitting Flippo's story that they were attacked as they slept. So Flippo is looking extremely guilty, and the odds are continuing to stack up against him. But why? What was his motive to brutally kill his wife? Was it just an unhappy marriage, or was there something or someone else? Joel. Like, at this point, man, just get a divorce. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, I know he wanted the money, but still. Also, think of his reputation. Uh, well, it's not going to matter for much longer. No, because... Um, <laughs> actually, after stealing off the cabin as a crime scene, police opened a briefcase that had been on the table inside. In the briefcase, detectives found photographs that were introduced as evidence in Flippo's trial. According to court records, the photographs included several images of a man who appeared to be taking off his pants. This man was identified as a member of Flippo's Church of God Congregation in Nitro. Prosecutors said the photographs were evidence of an affair between Flippo and that man, and that Cheryl Flippo's displeasure with the relationship may have been one of the reasons he decided to kill her. During the trial, the state called Pam Jewell, Cheryl Flippo's sister, to the stand. Jewell testified that after the murder of her sister, she telephoned Mr. Flippo and asked him to explain to her what had happened. Jewell stated that Flippo said their trip to Babcock State Park was very spur of the moment. In her statement, she said, He told us that they had decided to have a romantic rendezvous, and that he picked up Cheryl, and they went and borrowed a convertible from a friend who was going to sell it, but he was going to let them use it for a day. And he said they went for a drive, and they decided that it would be good to spend the night at Babcock State Park. Mr. Flippo claimed to have never been to the park before, which makes it strange that he apparently made a reservation, specifically for Cabin 13, two days prior to their spontaneous trip. Flippo made the reservation the same day he visited the park with a Mr. Joel Bogus for the purpose of baptizing Bogus in a park stream. The pair traveled to the park in Bogus's red Camaro. The red Camaro that Deputy Bryant pointed out when they first arrived at the crime scene? The very one. And guess what? Call it a hunch, but I don't think I want to know. After the baptism, Flippo took pictures of Mr. Bogus as he removed his wet clothing. The pictures from the briefcase. Things are making an unfortunate amount of sense. Yeah. I think this part is fairly obvious, but Flippo was convicted with the first-degree murder of his wife by a grand jury and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Years later, he tried to appeal his case, but it was thrown out. And rightfully so. So what about the ghost this event supposedly left behind? Ah, yes. Unfortunately, no conspiracy theories this time around, but we do get to talk about ghosts. Many people who have stayed in Cabin 13 say that they have awoken to see a man standing above them, but once they scream or turn on the light, he vanishes. Some guests have been startled awake in the middle of the night by a loud thud of something hitting the floor. When they go to investigate, though, nothing is out of place. Sounds like a super fun place to stay. (laughs) Also, I love how there were no conspiracy theories because without a doubt, doubt. (laughs) there's no question. (laughs) No conspiracy theories. Other park guests have reported hearing the sounds of a woman's scream coming from the direction of cabin 13 when park officials have said it's unoccupied. I actually read a few reviews of people staying in this cabin and like not on ghost story sites or anything, just general people staying there. Um, Wait, unaware? Yeah. Oh gosh. So, um, (laughs) 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 it's very interesting for these poor people. So, 
While it's overall a nice place and the park is beautiful, the cabin is very isolated. And because of its history, people are fascinated with seeing it. They are constantly coming up to take pictures and to look around. One reviewer even stated that the darkness and desolation of the cabin mixed with the lurkers just made it a very unsettling experience. So if you're into spooky stuff like us and are planning to take a trip to Cabin 13, just be aware that other people are just as fascinated as you are and they tend to lurk around at night. And if you're not into the supernatural, the park has several other wonderful cabins for you to choose from. Or you could just go to another park. West Virginia is known for them. We got plenty. Or you could just go to that park and not stay there. There are definitely plenty of options. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, today we're going to be introducing a new bit. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We're going to be reading a scary story about West Virginia. And so Galen's going to be reading it and I'm going to be commenting on it. <laughs> And Galen's probably going to be commenting on it, too, because some of the ghost stories from this state are just, they're very they entertaining. Need, they need to be put into the world. Yes. So, um, what are you reading for us today? So, today's story comes from the book, A Guide to Haunted West Virginia, and this is written by Walter Govinda and Michael T. Shoemaker. So, a lot of the stories in this book are interesting and informative, but I ran across one the other day that I particularly wanted to read to you. I give to you the werewolf hitchhiker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read this as dramatically as possible. Please do. And just... I'm ready. Let it, feel it, embrace <sighs> it, live it, just love it. <laughs> live it, love it. Late at night. In the darkness of the country, unblemished by city lights, you see a forlorn young woman sitting on a stone by the road. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm one sentence <laughs> Who would fail to stop and offer help in such circumstances? I would. Why would someone be sitting on the side <laughs> of the road like that? So you stop and you offer her a ride. I do not. Oh, but you do. I do not. Oh, but you do. <laughs> she asked for a ride. Well, no, duh. Like, <laughs> She's just sitting on the side of the road, chilling. No, I don't. Leave In me, the middle leave, of the night. Leave me be, please. <laughs> Pass by. Mind your own business. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> she asked for a ride to her home in Elkins, and you readily agree. Although you're a little puzzled. Really? But I would like to think so. <laughs> was a young girl doing out all alone on a dark country road hmm. she's silent on the drive she's probably uncomfortable she didn't want to go home she was trying to escape <laughs> please please <laughs> when you reach the address she has given you you stop and she gets out well no she was i was expecting her to stay in the car sits in silence <laughs> she was silent the entire way oh then she just vanishes that's what people tend to do when you get out of the car. You just stand there, shaken to the core of your being. You're standing there? Did you get out of the car too? I am. <laughs> I don't know. You can't believe it. People don't just vanish into thin air. I, do I have nothing to say. <laughs> Slowly you recover from the shock. Hmm. You go up to the house and knock on the door. Why, Why are you going to the house? Why are you going to the house? <laughs> Maybe it was a warning. Don't go there. <laughs> An older lady answers. No, just leave. Just leave. No, stop. Go. Leave. You tell her the story, even though you feel like a fool. 
You should. <laughs> she replies in a kindly voice that you're not the first person that this has happened to. It seems that her daughter was killed in a car accident at the very spot you picked her up. It's kind of sad. Yeah, well. During the 1940s, more than one motorist lived through this scenario as they drove on US 33, about five miles west of Elkins. Of course, this is a variant of the standard phantom hitchhiker story. A staple of modern ghostly lore. In the evidence for phantom hitchhikers, a definitive study of these tales, Michael Gross found that very little good evidence exists for the existence of these, and that the location of the haunting is often quite vague, with phantoms frequently haunting vast stretches of a particular road. So they could be anywhere. Well, shouldn't they haunt the place they died? Yeah, that, yeah, I guess. But wouldn't it be that one spot? Yeah. I don't know. This logic is flawed. I I'm, <laughs> I'm just reading it. <laughs> the US 33 Phantom Hitchhiker doesn't follow Goss's theory. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> just let me read the next sentence. <laughs> we can fix the location with some precision. According to the stories, the woman sits on a stone next to a bridge at a place called Dead man's curve. <laughs> Before or after the car accident? I'm just, I'm curious. As to maybe, maybe it'll answer. All we had to do was find a stone next to a bridge on dead man's curve between Elkins and Bellington. What could be simpler? Well, despite all the obstacles, we think we've located the spot. They went there. They went there. We Let's should. go there. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. It didn't look promising at first. No one we had talked to had heard of Dead Man's Curve. Dead Man's Curve! And there are no significant curves by bridges on US 33 between Elkins and Bellington. Then, we learned that route to US 33 was altered several decades ago. The Phantom <gasps> Hitchhiker stories- Oh! I know! Yes! The Phantom Hitchhiker stories referred to old US 33, which is today CR 151. Wow. All these, uh, uh, uh. So we drove the route and found a spot that matches the story. Superbly. Superbly. The road crosses the Tigert Valley River on a bridge at Norton and then goes up a sharp curve to the left. Anyone driving the opposite direction, coming down the hill too fast, will learn too late where Dead Man's Curve is. Maybe. That seems like a threat. I feel threatened. I feel fully threatened. I'm threatened by this whole story. The capper is that a cliff rises beside the road on the west end of the bridge and provides the fallen stone on which the hitchhiker sits. Really big stone. Yeah. So where's the werewolf we promised? Yeah, what the heck? I thought I was reading about a werewolf hitchhiker. Uh, is the ghost a werewolf? This is <laughs> faulty advertising. Is this ghost a werewolf? Because that would make it so much cooler. Ooh. Uh, no. The young lady doesn't turn into a wolf. What? That's what it says. <laughs> That's unfortunate. The young lady doesn't turn into a wolf on the night or a full moon and start lunging and snapping at people. Well, Is that what they think werewolves do? But she may not be the only thing that haunts old US 33. She may not be. No. There could be a werewolf. There could be. But they're not sure. No, no one's really sure. As was our habit, we always told people at the motel where we stayed what we were up to. Sometimes we'd get a helpful hint or two. And sometimes we'd hit pay dirt. What does that mean? What's that? What? I'm from. What? What does that mean? What? We hit pay dirt. Wait, we hit pay dirt. I'm gonna Google it. That's what it says. We hit pay dirt. Did you find or get something 
that results in money or success. How? So they huh? sometimes get information that would help them succeed, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I've never heard that. I have never heard that before. Okay. Well, <laughs> you learned something new. Right? We heard a remarkable story from Vicki Cunningham, a manager at the Days Inn in Elkins. She told us that she and her husband were driving on Sierra 151 one snowy winter night a few years ago when they were startled by a fleeting encounter. Between Jimtown and Norton, they saw a man walking beside the road. I'm sorry, I love the name Jimtown. That's what you got out of that? Yes! <laughs> this surprised them because the hour was late and the weather was bad. So nobody could be out on the road at all, even no. though they were out on the road. It's inconceivable. <clears throat> then they got a profound shock, for as they passed, the man looked straight at them. He's out in the middle of the road. He's crazy. He's looking at me. <laughs> he's probably saying, help, it's He's cold. probably saying, my car broke down on the side of the road. Will you please give me a lift? No, he's crazy. <laughs> he looked at me. Oh. <laughs> he had the face of a dog. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Wolves, of course, are members of the canine family. So this looks very much like a modern werewolf sighting. What is really interesting about this story is that it's located within a mile of the Phantom Hitchhiker's Rock. Yet when we received this story, we had not yet located the site. What? How does that tie in? I don't know. I'm just upset because they titled this the Werewolf, werewolf hitchhiker. hitchhiker. Moreover, the werewolf was walking beside the road, just as a hitchhiker would do. I thought he darted out in front of them, like what's going on? Not anyone with three ounces of gray matter would give it a ride. What, what does that is mean? gray matter? I'm just perplexed by the gray matter. I don't What understand. does this mean? A phantom hitchhiker with a precise location, a curve whose name carries the memory of death, and a pedestrian werewolf. A pedestrian werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> this is a truly spooky stretch of road. Take a look for yourself. But don't pick up any hitchhikers. Especially if the moon is full. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, there's one... How to get there. From Elkins, take US 33 west to Harding. Go left on CR 151. Turn right and cross the bridge over the Tigert Valley River at Norton. The Phantom probably sits on a stone at the foot of the cliff near the west end of the bridge. This concludes today's dramatic reading. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to Living Lore. A production of the scenic route sponsored by loot press if you like what you hear please remember to like and share on spotify or your favorite podcast provider or you can check out our twitter or send us your own spooky story at livinglordwv and livinglordwv at gmail.com respectively thank you for your support and we'll see you next time when we discuss those pesky ghosts that live in your local coal mine the tommy knockers what? <laughs> <laughs> you'll find out next month <laughs> I guess I will. <laughs>